Well, good morning once again. It's uh, so good to see everybody and just a, a blessing to be able to dig into the Word of God with you this morning. As uh, you probably have seen and can tell, you know, we are getting ready for Christmas, uh, which is exciting. I hope you all enjoy that. I know for some holidays can be a bit more rough, but I hope uh, this is a season of joy that you can um, take pleasure in what God is offering to us. And also, uh, I, I love this uh, season just together with us as a church, um, you know, as definitely I think back over the course of my life and I think about Christmas and all the different things that come along with it, uh, belonging to a church definitely has a, a very powerful association uh, for me. So not only just the, the things I get to do with my immediate family, but also with my church family. And so I, I'm excited to share the Word of God with you this morning. You know, just as, as we mentioned, um, over um, our Advent season together as a church, we have kind of been focusing on this prophecy in Isaiah. Is what you just heard right there in the little video, Isaiah 9-2. Uh, the prophet said, um, you know, those walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And so we know we are sitting here at this time and in this year knowing that that is referring to Jesus. And in fact, a little bit farther in that Isaiah passage, we get some of that language that we associate so closely with Christmas, that unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And so that's what we've really been praying about and thinking about and just meditating on as a church and, and coming into this Christmas season because, you know, we do kind of do this every year. And so it's like, okay, we know kind of the nativity story. We kind of know those rhythms. So um, how can we refocus and not lose sight of the significance of the season and how we celebrate as a church? And that's what uh, Advent is. It is a season. And so uh, traditionally, Advent begins the four Sundays preceding Christmas Day. And so uh, the church collectively, the church universal for a long time has taken that um, period of time uh, to focus on some specific things. And so Advent, that season, these Sundays kick off the liturgical calendar that sets the tone for the rest of the year and the movements we follow as the church as we think about what it means to put the Word of God into our life and how to follow Him with all things. And so Advent, the word means arrival. And so usually we associate it with this time of preparation and getting ready and we celebrate Christmas. And so early on in the church's history, the first couple hundred years when Advent became a regular rhythm, uh, the uh, initial focus of Advent was more on the second coming of Christ. And so it was a little bit later on, more around 600, 700, that uh, not only did they focus on the return of Jesus, but they began to include in that celebration, in that commemoration, in those moments, uh, the focus of the first coming of Christ, the incarnation. And so it was a, a season of fasting, a season of preparation, a season where you focus on the idea of Jesus coming to earth. And that's what we get to continue to do this morning. And so for me, as I thought about, you know, um, just what God is doing in our church and just uh, the Christmas season, um, you know, I just wanted to offer some reminders this morning. And for me, one of my favorite Christmas songs, you know, you get to bring them out once a year, is the song, Oh Holy Night. And I just love uh, the one verse in that song that says, you know, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And so that's what we're talking about with this idea that the light has dawned. There is this um, idea within the Christian scriptures and what I have seen lived out in my life is that we live in a world of darkness and we live in a land of brokenness. And as we go throughout our lives and are in our different spheres God has put us in, we experience that darkness, we experience that brokenness. And so I need those reminders and I need it to be put back in front of me 
that a Savior has come into the world. And although I do have to live in a broken world, what I am looking at and what our lives are aiming for is the redemption God has offered us through Jesus Christ that is made so clear at this Christmas season. And so that's the reminder I want to offer us this morning. And so as we've been unpacking Advent and we'll continue to, we, we are going through a specific movement as we get forward, looking forward to celebrate on Christmas Eve and then ultimately on Christmas Day. And so last week, Pastor Charlie, what he talked about was uh, looking back into Revelation 4 when uh, God actually created all things that he brought light into the world and he is himself light. And so we had creation last week and then this morning we're going to talk about preparation. And so Advent lends itself to that, that it is a season of preparation. And even right now, you know, we're marching down every week, even in our, our readings and our candles, we know we are getting ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. And so Jesus, as he said about himself and is testified to all throughout the scriptures, Jesus is the light of the world. And so I want to look real quick. We're going to hit a couple of different Bible passages this morning. But if you would flip to John chapter one, I love how clear the apostle John makes this as he kicks off his gospel. And so if you'd look there with me, it's not where we're going to spend the entire morning, but I wanted to, to start with these verses as just a reminder of how we view our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what the scriptures testify to about him. So John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 says this. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What an incredible testimony as we think about the world we live in, but the reality that we also get to embrace about who Jesus Christ is and what he does for the world. And going back to the prophet Isaiah saying, the light has dawned. We know at this point in history that that was talking about Jesus bringing in the fullness of what God was doing in the world, and we get to live in that moment. And so it is interesting, I think, for us being in 2021, almost 2022, uh, as we think about the idea of preparation in celebrating the season in its fullness and what Christmas all has to offer. We are in this unique spot in history because typically as we are leading up to Christmas and we are reading those prophecies about Jesus and thinking about, you know, the, what was going on in those times, even with Mary and Joseph and just in Israel with the Roman occupation, all those different things, we get to look back and see the testimonies of the people who had been waiting centuries and centuries for God to fulfill his promise to send a savior. So we get to look back on those testimonies of those people waiting for Jesus for the very first time. We get to look back in history and see how Israel was longing for those prophecies and those promises to be fulfilled. We get to see how those people prepared to receive the Savior into the world. But also, at this point, we're living post the Incarnation. We're living an after-Christmas reality right now. And so we get to look back remembering that God did not leave us alone in our mess, but interjected himself, his very life, into the brokenness of this world and brought light into darkness. But we also are at a point where we are also waiting. So we know Jesus has come. We know the life he lived. We can see that in how God fulfilled his promises to send a Savior into the world. But we are living in a time where we are looking back on the promises of God, but looking ahead to their total fulfillment because we know that our King is coming back. 
And so we are in the season of in-betweens as a people of God. And so we can both prepare our hearts by looking back at how those who were faithful did it before us, waiting for the baby to come, waiting for the Savior, waiting for the Messiah. And we can remember and think about what they thought about. And then we can also anchor our lives in those truths and promises that God fulfilled his promise when he came once. And we can trust him to fulfill his promise that he is going to come again. And so when I talk about preparation, that's what I'm talking about of engineering and positioning our lives to reflect on the promises of God and trust that he is going to fill his ultimate promises. And so I want to look at some of these people in the past that were on um, the, the uh, other side of the incarnation. And so we're going to look at another gospel in Luke chapter 2, a story I just love in its faithfulness. So Luke chapter 2. So if you'd look with me, starting in verse 22, we have a little story about an encounter with Jesus right after his birth. So Luke, 22 says, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 22 says this, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, They brought him, meaning Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So I, I love the story. You know, I know it is after the nativity scene, so we're not getting the shepherds and things like that. But, you know, that whole period surrounding Jesus's birth has a lot of significant acts, including you think about the wise men coming a couple years after his birth and even this encounter. So first time at the t- temple, Mary and Joseph are taking Jesus. They're living according to the Jewish customs and they get there and there's a man who's just been waiting. So we know he's a little bit older in his years, and when he sees him, God reveals to him who the baby Jesus actually is, and he begins to prophesy, and he attaches his encounter with the baby Jesus to the significant prophecies in the Old Testament. You get it once again, that idea of light and continuing that theme that's come along, that he sees Jesus and he knows God has fulfilled his specific promises to Simeon, that he's not going to die before he sees God's salvation for the world, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and to the people of Israel. And so I I love that we can look back in history into the narrative of scripture and we can see how people were prepared and waiting for God to do what he had promised he was going to do. And so one of the things I like about Simeon, we don't get a whole lot of his story, but we do get some significant factors in my mind, uh, some context clues within the scriptures about him. So it does lift a couple of descriptors for how he was living his life. And so if we're thinking about for ourselves, If we are waiting for the return of our Christ and we want to be a people of preparation, knowing that Jesus is coming back and living our lives accordingly, we can also look at the way he lived 
before he met and encountered Jesus Christ. And so it does list a couple of things about him. One of the things it says is that he was devout, that he was a righteous man, that he was patiently waiting for God to do what he said he was going to do for the consolation of Israel. And so you can see, even within those few words, we can, I think, impart a degree of intentionality to Simeon. So he was not passive in his belief in God's promises. You can tell by what scripture says about him, being devout, being righteous. It had some specific actions in his life that he was living in accordance to the will of God and it had a special importance in his life that he was waiting patiently for God to fulfill his promises. And so I love even the image it gives us. It says that he was a man full of the spirit because God had revealed promises to him. And so that day when he was supposed to encounter Jesus, he said the spirit told him to go to the temple. And so we know that this is a man who had a relationship with the Lord. And that every single day had purpose because he knew that God had promised that a Savior was going to come. And so he was living his life accordingly because he believed and had faith in the promises of God. And so as we look back at Simeon and his testimony, we have to ask ourselves, if we believe Jesus is returning, if we believe not only the nativity story, but the future stories in the Bible of Christ's return, are we living our lives according with that belief? And what would it look like to live a life focused on the promises of God? As I've just been trying to uh, get my head around that and and asking the Lord uh, how we as a people should be prepared, it's continued to come back to me this theme of we can look how people have been prepared through the centuries. You know, we are part of a great lineage of faith. We are a part of the church of God. It didn't begin with us and it's not going to end with us. We are a part of all of the people who've placed their faith in Jesus. We are united to that history. And so as I've just been reflecting on what we should talk about today, it came um, pressed upon me that we should look in Hebrews chapter 11. And so go ahead and flip there. That's where um, most of our time will be spent. And so if you know anything about uh, the structure of the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapters 11 is a pretty famous chapter. It's one you've probably heard uh, bits and pieces of at some point. It's what we call, you know, a lot of times we kind of tag these different passages with kind of a, a heading or an idea. And so Hebrews chapter 11 is what they call the roll call of faith. And it's a great chapter. We're not going to read the chapter in its entirety, but it, it begins with this description of what faith is. Hebrews 11.1 1, that says, now faith is the assurance of the things that you hope for and is the conviction of things not yet seen. And so sometimes it can be hard to describe faith. It's like, okay, it's like belief, but slightly stronger. And so I love that the Bible like gives us um, those words for it. It is the assurance of the things we hope for. And so, you know, all the time we use kind of these churchy words, this churchy language. It's like, yes, I have faith in God. And so what does that actually mean for us? It means you have assurance of the things you hope for. And I know personally, one of my hopes is that the life I live now is not in vain, but is preparing for me to be in close communion and relationship with the God who created me. And so I have assurance of the things I hope for, and I have a conviction of things I cannot see. I've not seen Jesus in person yet, but I have zero doubts in my mind, in my heart, that he is alive, that he is who he says he is, and that he came about 2,000 years ago, and at some point in the future, he's going to return for me. 
have complete conviction of that. And so I love Hebrews chapter 11. And so we're going to pick up in the middle of the chapter because it describes, I believe, this mindset of the people who patiently waited in faith for God to fulfill his promises. And so it lists a lot of the Old Testament characters that we've heard their stories and commends them for their faith. And so then in verse 13, it says this about the people that have gone before us. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them from afar and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So I love how it describes this mindset. And as you read through the rest of the chapter, if you've never read it, take a moment this week and read through Hebrews 11, because it talks about Abraham. It talks about Isaac. It talks about Moses. It talks about all these different people. And as it lists what God did through them and the lives they live, it continues this drumbeat through it all of by faith, they did this by faith, they live by faith, by faith, by faith. And so, and that's what they're saying. They're saying like, hey, uh, all of us have the option to focus our lives on something. And so the, um, the object that God commends is that these people who lived by faith put their eyes on something in the future that they could not quite yet see, but they had confidence in the word of God. And because of that confidence, they were able to walk in faith. And some of them endured incredible suffering. And in some of them, God did incredible miracles, but all of them were waiting for something better than this world had to offer. And so we have to ask ourselves today in 2021, like, what is the object of our life? Like, are we satisfied with the world around us? Or is there something that feels like it's just quite missing and that there's something more we were made for? That's how C.S. Lewis put it. He said, if you find in yourself a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the obvious conclusion is that you were made for a different world. And that's what our Bible teaches us, that we um, can feel the brokenness around us and we have this yearning for redemption, that we know some things are not quite the way they are supposed to be. And so for us as followers of Jesus Christ, we place our hope in the fact that God is going to return and restore things to the way they were meant to be. And so like the people that have come before us in the Old Testament, we can live a life by faith trusting that God is going to fulfill his promises. And so I love if you get through all of chapter 11, it talks about all of these different people who trusted in God, who lived by faith. And then we get into chapter 12 and chapter 12, verse one and two gives direction for us. And this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So I feel like this really just captures where my head and heart are this morning as we look back at the testimony of God, both in the scriptures and I hope even in your own life, the people that you have known that followed God closely, 
And also the stories we have collectively, our church family history of the ones who trusted in Jesus at a deep level. As we look at their lives, it should inspire the way we live today. And so that's what Hebrews 12 is saying. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, it's because we can look at the lives of the people around us who trusted in Jesus implicitly, we can ourselves live a life like they did. And so it gives some instruction. It says, hey, because so many people have come before us and have walked by faith and seen what God has done for us, it says, let us throw off every sin and weight that so easily entangles. And I love that the author of Hebrews does this. So, so he gives us two categories. One is sin. One, that's one we typically understand. We know that God's word teaches that there are some things that are right and some things that are wrong, and we want to stay within God's commandments for us. And when we uh, get outside of those things, we, we call it sin. And so we know that as Christians, part of the movement of the Christian life, what we would call our sanctification, that is, as I follow Jesus, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will work on my heart and that there are things and sins that I turn to that over time, as I submit that to the Lord, less and less those things will have a hold on me. And more and more, I will turn to the things of God instead of to sinful things. We understand that aspect of the Christian life. But I also love that there is this idea that he gives two categories. Sin, we can understand. It's a bit more objective. But then this idea of weight. And so for all of us, every single day, even if we do not realize it, every single day we live is one day closer to when we are going to encounter Jesus face to face. So maybe we'll live to see his physical return here on this earth, or maybe God will call us home to himself. But every single day, each of you is alive is one day closer to when you are going to meet Jesus. And so I think what Hebrews is describing for these other people is that the life you live now can either be preparation for that meeting or you could be missing the point. And so when I think about this idea of wait, my hope as a follower of Jesus is that every single day that I have the opportunity to be a disciple of Jesus, more and more the things of God grow in my life, in my heart, in my mind. And I hope more and more that the things of this world have less and less pull on me. And so there are things that not that aren't expressly forbidden in the scriptures, and I think that's where this weight comes in, but there are things that I could engage in, turn to, allow to have importance in my life that aren't helping me set my eyes on Jesus Christ and to be prepared for that meeting that is going to come eventually. And so for us, as we talk about this idea of preparation, of knowing that our Savior is coming back for us and looking forward to celebrating Christmas, we need to ask ourselves, what in our lives is not helping us run towards Jesus? And like the author of Hebrews, we need to uh, be encouraged to throw those things off. And this is the language that is all over the New Testament, this idea that over time, the things of God should grow in importance and the things that are not of God should less in importance. So I love how the apostle John said in his letter, if you read 1 John chapter 2, he says it like this. He says, do not love the things of the world. And he, he lists them. He says, the, the pride in one's eyes, the lusts of one's eyes, the desires of the heart. He says, do not love the things of the world because those aren't the things of God. You know, I love how John the Baptist, a different John said it before his death. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. You know, I like how, how Paul said it in some of his letters. He said, everything I gained, I considered as loss 
compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. And so once again, as we look at the cloud of witnesses we have in Scripture, we can see that as they live their lives and experience more and more of God, God continued to get bigger and more important and more beautiful, and the things of the earth continued to lose their shine, lose their appeal, compared to the goodness and greatness of God. And I love how Jesus Christ taught it himself in his parables. He said, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when you discover it, you sell everything else and you buy the treasure. And that's what our lives are supposed to look like. That over time, I hope the things of God continue to grow in importance and the things of this earth continue to lessen in importance because every single day that I'm alive is a day closer to where I get to see my Savior face to face. And so as we think about the cloud of witnesses before us, I know for myself, you know, Pastor Charlie uh, said it last week, and it's just the two words we've been thinking about as we've been praying about preaching to you, our church, is that in this Advent season, as we get ready for Christmas and celebrating the birth of our Savior, um, what we more than anything else just want to encourage is two words, live ready. Uh, Jesus talks about this in, in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Uh, in Matthew 24, Jesus gives all these signs of the ends of the age. And so he goes through some different things. He's like, he's telling his disciples it's before his, his death. He's like, hey, uh, all of these things are going to happen before the end of the age, before he returns. So Matthew 24 has all these different signs at the ends of the age. And it's really easy. People kind of fixate on those things at different points and kind of uh, try to look out into the news and what's going on to the world. And like, oh, is this what Jesus talked about with wars and rumors of wars and all these different things? But then Matthew 24 goes into Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, Jesus really encourages this attitude of living ready. And so he tells several parables. One of them is the parable of the talents. And so it talks about a master with his servants. And the master gave out some talents to three different servants. And then the master went away for a while. And then he comes back to evaluate what his servants did with the talents he had given them. And uh, you might have some familiarity with that story. And also tells uh, the parable of the ten virgins that are waiting for the bridegroom to come. And some lived ready and some did not. And so Jesus encourages this attitude of, hey, uh, as my followers, as disciples, you need to live ready for my return. And so I know for some people at times it, it, it can begin this fixation on when are the end times going to come. And Jesus... Uh, not Jesus, I'm sorry, Charlie referenced that last week in Revelation. I just really respect him as my boss. Uh, uh, you know, in Revelation, people look to that a lot and try to evaluate like, oh, is this chapter talking about this world event? But I love how uh, Jesus ends Matthew 25. And so Matthew 24, all of these signs of the end of the age, Matthew 25, these parables about living ready, living ready. But the very end of Matthew 25 is a passage we're all very familiar with. Because he says to his disciples, he says, when I come again, he's like, I'm going to welcome you. He said, because uh, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was naked and you clothed me. I was homeless and you gave me shelter. And his disciples said, Lord, when, when were you hungry and we fed you? When were you naked and we clothed you? And Jesus said, what you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did unto me. And I think that's a very significant indicator within the scriptures you know, we can't just take out these individual verses and, and apply them however we want to. Matthew 24 talks about, hey, the end of the age is going to come. Matthew 25 has all of these teachings about living ready, but Jesus caps that all off in describing for us what it looks like to live ready 
is to love the world around us he's put us into. And so if we look back at that roll call of faith and how they live their lives every single day in faith, looking ahead to something they had not yet seen, that should be an aspect of that longing and that pull in us to see the redemption of the world, but how we actually apply it in the lives around us is to love on the people God has put us in contact with. And so that's what Jesus has called us to do, and I love that it made its way into our Advent reading this morning, that Jesus sums up all of the law, all of the prophets in one sentence, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. How can we live a life of preparation knowing that one day we are going to see Jesus face to face? We can live the way he taught us to live. That as his disciples, we would be known by our love. As his disciples, we would be known by being bringers of light into the dark world around us. And so as we get ready to celebrate the fact that the true light of the world entered into our reality with his very life. We can live in sight of that by choosing each day to live on purpose for Jesus. Because every single day we are alive is one day closer to that we're going to see him face to face. And I know it is a powerful motivator in my life to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. But I hope that a year from now, that motivation has grown stronger because I'm one year closer to seeing Jesus. And I hope the year after that, there's less and less of this world that has a pull on my heart and my mind. And I pray that as I continue to live my life, trying to apply God's word, trying to press into relationship, trying to repent of the sins I fall into, that more and more the beauty and the goodness and the majesty of Jesus Christ grows in my heart, in my mind, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. You know, one of the things I try to repeat to our college students a lot is that, you know, as we do things as a church and we do ministry and teach the Bible, my, my prayer for them as young people is that Jesus wouldn't be a part of their life, but the point of their life. And I think it's very easy for us, especially in our context, being in the southern part of the United States with a million churches and all of us probably uh, had family members who drug us to church at one point, that it's really easy to be in this room and to have Jesus as one aspect of your varied life. And my prayer, because of the scriptures and because of the goodness that I have experienced, is that you would shed those other things that hold importance and choose one more magnificent thing, and that is to live for Jesus fully every single day. And, you know, we are in this interesting time crunch now as we go towards the end of the year that the realities of the holidays are they are extraordinarily busy. You know, we just hit Thanksgiving, and how many of y'all put up Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving? Shame. I'll pray for you. <laughs> There's just too many things going on. And so I know that that just seems like as soon as Thanksgiving hit, it just seems like it has accelerated everything else. And so it's like, man, we had Thanksgiving and then it's like, oh, we've got to decorate the whole church because Advent starts the last week of November. And I know for myself right now, like we had our wrap up college ministry party on Thursday and we've got a staff Christmas party and I'm trying to see some friends and relations and then we'll have Christmas Eve that's sneaking up on us really quick. It is this busy season and it can be really hard to hit pause and reflect. But I think there is this aspect of the holidays that can really lend itself to the narrative of Scripture because we have been talking about this is a time of preparation. And I, I'm more than likely all of us on some level are preparing right now for the festivities of the holidays. 
You know, you're making plans with family, trying to get that house in order, trying to coordinate who's doing what over the holidays. This is a season of preparation. And so I would also encourage you, instead of just trying to separate those two, to leverage that idea of like, hey, we are getting our lives right now ready for a celebration. And so you can remind your heart and your soul that a part of that getting ready is thinking about Jesus returning and is your life being lived in a season of preparation. And so I'll just encourage you right now because we're all doing it. If I could just interject some greater purpose into the busyness and chaos of this season, you know, it's a whole lot of fun. Lively being two and a half, she's a lot more just aware of everything happening now. And so, man, she is loving Christmas. Um, I don't think she completely understands the incarnation of the second head of the Trinity into the world, but she likes the lights, she likes the songs, she likes the inflatables in people's yards. So it's just a whole lot of fun. Anytime we're driving in the evening, it's more Christmas lights, more Christmas lights. But I would just encourage you, if I could just interject some greater purpose, that as you drive around and you see people that have decorated their houses with Christmas lights, that you would take a moment and just remember that Jesus is the light of the world. That as you go and shop for toys and presents and you see the hustle and bustle in the stores, that we would remember that every single person is searching for something that only Jesus can fulfill. That as you give gifts to your children and your loved ones, that you would stop and remind yourself and them that the ultimate gift God has given us is his son, Jesus Christ. That as you get ready to have people into your home and you clean and you straighten and you decorate, that you would think about the words of the Christmas song, let every heart prepare in room, that we are getting ready for the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I would just encourage you, every single family, every single person in here, at some point in this December, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, some point afterwards, take a moment with your family. Read Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 together and remind ourselves why we actually take this season at the end of the year to celebrate together. And so, dads, I'm going to put that on you. You should do that and set the spiritual tone of your home. But at some point in this season, hit pause and remember that Jesus is the reason why we celebrate. I think that's why we all love the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Man, that captures it so well of all the different chaos going on at Christmas. And then Linus has to remind everybody what it's actually about. And that's what he does. He reads Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, remembering the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We need those reminders in our life. We need to be prepared for our Jesus coming again. And so we, we just need those reminders. That God created a world and his creation rebelled and brought sin into it. But God did not leave us in, his, in our mess. He sent his son, Jesus. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That Jesus came on this earth and lived a perfect life. And then he sacrificed himself and died for the sins of the world. But three days later, he arose and was resurrected from the grave. And he appeared to many. And then he ascended back into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. But he promises us that he's coming again. And so as we are in the season of waiting, until that day, we prepare. We prepare for his return, and we believe that by faith, and we live that by faith. Would you pray with me?